0: Remember, history lives on through the stories we tell. I'm Peter, and this is Who Died Today, the podcast that explores the lives of famous individuals on the day they passed away. Today we're delving into the extraordinary life of Dr. Seuss, a beloved children's author and illustrator whose imaginative tales have captivated readers of all ages for decades. Today marks the 31st anniversary of his death. So without any further ado, let's dive into the extraordinary early life of Theodore Seuss Geisel. Part 1. Springfield Beginnings and the Birth of a Creative Mind, 1904 to 1925. The early 20th century in Springfield, Massachusetts, was a time of bustling industry and community spirit. And it was here amidst this vibrant setting that Theodore Seuss Geisel took his first breaths. Born to Theodore Robert Geisel and Henrietta Seuss Geisel, The young Theodore came from a lineage of German immigrants, carrying with him the rich culture and traditions of his ancestry. Growing up, young Theodore was surrounded by a plethora of influences that would later manifest in his work. Springfield's forest park, with its expansive landscapes and a popular zoo, often became his playground. Animals like the elephants, with their expressive faces and gentle nature might have sparked an early inspiration for characters like Horton the Elephant in his books. Geisel's home life was equally influential. The Geisel household was filled with love, laughter, and stories. Henrietta, his mother, often recited rhymes and chants she remembered from her childhood in Germany, embedding in young Theodore an affection for rhythmic patterns. These bedtime rhymes would be early precursors to Geisel's distinct cadence in his Dr. Seuss books. While Theodore was inherently creative, formal education played a role in honing his talents. At Central High School in Springfield, he was active in various clubs and often contributed cartoons and articles to the school paper. His wit and humor were evident even then, with peers and teachers acknowledging his knack for storytelling. College days at Dartmouth further shaped Geisel's identity. As editor of the college's humor magazine, Jack O'Lantern, he found a platform to express his views, craft narratives, and develop a distinct style. Although a minor mishap led to his official removal from extracurriculars, Geisel's undying spirit saw him continue under the pseudonym Seuss, a name that would eventually become synonymous with children's literature. It wasn't just academia that defined his Dartmouth years. It was here that Theodore Geisel fostered lifelong friendships networks, and a deeper understanding of societal dynamics. These relationships and experiences provided a wealth of material that Geisel would later tap into, creating stories that resonated with readers of all ages. The time Theodore Geisel left Dartmouth ready to embark on further studies at Oxford, he was not just a young man with a degree, but a budding storyteller with a unique voice, waiting for the right moment to share his world with others. Little did he know that his journey at Oxford would introduce him to someone special, Helen Palmer, who would recognize his potential and set him on a path to become one of the most cherished authors in history. Part 2. From Oxford Sketches to the World of Advertising, 1925-1937 The University of Oxford in England, a prestigious institution with its Gothic architecture and distinguished scholars, may seem an unlikely place for the whimsical mind of Theodor Seuss Geisel. Yet it was here that pivotal moments of his early career took shape. Initially enrolled to study English literature at Oxford, Geisel quickly found that his heart was more attuned to drawing than to the intricacies of linguistic studies. During lectures, he often doodled in his notebook, letting his imagination wander. It was during one of these sketching sessions that a fellow student, Helen Palmer, glanced over his shoulder. Recognizing the raw talent in his sketches, she remarked that he was better suited for a career in art than academia. This candid observation would alter the trajectory of Theodor Geisel's life. Heeding Palmer's advice, Geisel left Oxford without obtaining a degree. He and Helen traveled around Europe, soaking in its artistic influences. Parisian avant-garde scenes, the renaissance of Italian art, and the rich folk tales of Eastern Europe. All became a melting pot of inspiration for the young artist. Returning to the United States with Helen, whom he married in 1927, Gessel embarked on a career in advertising. His big break came when he devised a campaign for Flit, a popular insecticide of the time. The catchphrase, Quick Henry the Flit, not only became an success, but also became part of the cultural lexicon. The campaign ran for over 15 years, firmly establishing Geisel as a force to be reckoned with in the world of advertising. While advertising brought him commercial success, Geisel never abandoned his passion for storytelling. His early work including satirical pieces for magazines such as Judge and Vanity Fair, these engagements allowed him to perfect his craft. Blending humor with insightful commentary on social norms. Despite the Great Depression, the 1930s became a transformative decade for Theodore Geisel. Beyond the busy world of ads, he began to venture into children's literature. In 1937, after numerous rejections from publishers, Geisel's first book, and To Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street, was finally published. Drawing from the familiar landscapes of his childhood in Springfield, The book was a celebration of imagination. Although not an instant hit, it marked the beginning of a journey where Geisel, now Dr. Seuss, would redefine children's literature. Part 3 Dr. Seuss Finds His Voice, Reinventing Children's Literature, 1938-1956 As the world teetered on the brink of another global conflict, Theodor Seuss Geisel faced his own internal battles. While his debut book marked the birth of Dr. Seuss, the true essence of what that moniker would come to represent was still forming. The 1940s and 50s would prove transformative not only for the world, but for Geisel's creative evolution. During World War II, Geisel temporarily shelved children's literature to contribute to the war effort. He produced numerous political cartoons for PM, a New York-based newspaper using his unique blend of humor and satire to highlight the absurdities of fascism, isolationism, and discrimination. His work at the time was marked by a distinct edge, unafraid to engage with the socio-political climate of the era. Additionally, Geisel took on a more direct role in the war effort by working with Frank Capra's Signal Corps, creating animated training films for soldiers. This period saw him collaborating with legendary figures such as Chuck Jones, with whom he would later produce the iconic How the Grinch Stole Christmas animated special. Post-war America brought a wave of transformation. The suburbs expanded, televisions became household staples, and the baby boom generation emerged. Sensing the zeitgeist, Dr. Seuss sought to address the changing needs of children's literature. 1954 marked a critical juncture. A report titled, Why Johnny Can't Read by Rudolf Flash criticized the dull nature of children's reading primers. The criticism caught the attention of William Spalding, the director of the education division at Houghton Mifflin. He challenged Geisel to craft a book using only 250 distinct words from a list of 348. The result? The Cat in the Hat. A work that not only adhered to the constraints, but exploded with creativity, whimsy, and vitality. The Cat in the Hat was revolutionary. It combined simple words with rhythmic verses, captivating illustrations, and a dash of mischief. Children who were once reluctant readers now clung to its pages, eager to explore the adventures of the mischievous cat and his iconic hat. The book's success led to the creation of Beginner Books, a series helmed by Geisel and his wife Helen aimed at nurturing young readers. This era saw Dr. Seuss producing some of his most celebrated works, including Green Eggs and Ham, Horton Hears a Who, and One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. These stories transcended mere entertainment. Beneath the playful verses and fantastical characters lay profound messages about acceptance. Perseverance and open mindedness. Part 4 Seuss's Legacy Beyond the Rhymes and Lines, 1957 to 1991. Late 1950s and beyond bore witness to an American flux. Civil rights movements gained momentum, the Vietnam War polarized the nation, and the space race reached its zenith. Amidst the vast societal shifts, Theodor Seuss Geisel, or Dr. Seuss, continued to evolve, melding whimsy with profound commentaries on humanity. 1960 heralded the arrival of Green Eggs and Ham, a tale spun from a mere 50 words. While seemingly simple, the book's narrative encouraged perseverance and open mindedness. In a period marked by division and resistance to change, Dr. Seuss subtly championed the power of embracing the unfamiliar. In 1961, Geisel tackled prejudice and conformity with the Sneetches. Through the tale of a creature marked by the presence or absence of a star upon their bellies, Seuss delved into the absurdity of discrimination and the potential for understanding. The message was clear. Superficial differences should never dictate worth or belonging. As the 1960s wore on and America grew more turbulent, Seuss's works became bolder. The Lorax in 1971 was a clarion call for environmental responsibility, illustrating the dangers of unchecked corporate greed. The Lorax's haunting refrain, I speak for the trees, remains an echo in today's environmental movements. Though Seuss's books were predominantly for children, their reach and influence were boundless. His ability to distill complex themes into relatable tales made them equally resonant with adults. Many found solace in his words during times of personal or societal upheaval. Apart from literature, Seuss's influence permeated other media. The 1966 animated adaptation of How the Grinch Stole Christmas became an annual holiday staple. His characters found their way into commercials, merchandise, and even theme park attractions. However, life wasn't without its struggles. Personal struggles, including the death of his wife Helen in 1967, weighed heavily on Theodore Geisel, yet adversity often catalyzed creativity. Just two years after Helen's passing, he married Audrey Stone Dimmond, who became a steadfast supporter of his work and vision. Dr. Seuss's final book, Oh, The Places You'll Go, in 1990, was a fitting culmination of his illustrious career. It wasn't just a book for children, but a guide for all ages, offering wisdom on the journey of life and the limitless potential within. On September 24, 1991, Theodore Seuss Geisel passed away. But, Dr. Seuss's legacy was immortal. His 60-plus books have been translated into dozens of languages, selling over 600 million copies worldwide. Awards, honorary degrees, and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame testify to his influence. However, Dr. Seuss's true legacy lies beyond the accolades. It resides in the laughter of children, opening a book for the first time, in the classrooms where his rhymes fluster a love for reading and in the hearts of all who believe in the transformative power of imagination. The final pages of Geisel's life closed, but the world of Dr. Seuss remains evergreen. A testament to a man who dared to dream differently, and in doing so, reshaped the landscape of children's literature forever. And that brings us to the end of today's episode on Dr. Seuss, a beloved children's author and illustrator. He's also, who died today, September 24th, Additionally, if you enjoyed today's episode and want a visual of what Dr. Seuss looked like, please follow our Instagram, who period died period today. Lastly, make sure to rate us wherever you're listening and share with friends and family. Join us next time on Who Died Today as we explore the life of another remarkable individual who made a lasting and indelible mark on history. I'm your host, Peter, and thank you for listening.